Chapter Eight of Gunman's Reckoning by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Colonel stiffened in his chair, and under his bulk, even those ponderous timbers quaked a little. Once more, Donnegan gained an impression of chained activity, ready to rise to any emergency. The Colonel's jaw set, and the last vestige of the smile left his eyes. Yet it was not anger that showed in its place. Instead, it was rather a hungry searching. He looked keenly into the face and the soul of Donnegan as a searchlight sweeps over waters by night. You're a mind reader, Mr. Donnegan. No more of a mind reader than a Chinaman is. Ah, they are great readers of mind, my friend. Donnegan grinned, and at this the Colonel frowned. A great and mysterious people, sir. I keep evidence of them always about me. Look. He swept the shaft of the reading light up, and it fell upon a red vase against the yellow hangings. Even Donnegan's inexperienced eye read a price into that shimmering vase. Queer color, he said. Dusty claret. Ah, they have the only names for their colors. Think. Peach bloom, liquid dawn, ripe cherry, oil green, green of powdered tea, blue of the sky after rain. What names for color? What other land possesses such a tongue that goes straight to the heart? The colonel waved his faultless hands and then dropped them back upon the book with the tenderness of a benediction. And their terms for texture, pearls rhyme, lime peel, millet seed. Do not scoff at China, Mr. Donnegan. She is the fairy godmother and we are the poor children. He changed the direction of the light. Donnegan watched him, fascinated. But what convinced you that I wished to keep you here? To amuse you, Colonel Macon. The Colonel exposed gleaming white teeth and laughed in that soft, smooth-flowing voice. Amuse me? For fifteen years I have sat in this room and amused myself by taking in what I would and shutting out the rest of the world. I have made the walls thick and padded them to keep out all sound. You observe that there is no evidence here of the storm that is going on tonight. Amuse me, indeed. And Donnegan thought of Lou Macon in her old drab dress, huddling the poor cloak around her shoulders to keep out the cold, while her father lounged here in luxury. He could gladly have buried his lean fingers in that fat throat. From the first, he had had an aversion to this man. Very well, I shall go. It's been a pleasant chat, Colonel. Very pleasant, and thank you. But before you go, taste this whiskey. It will help you when you enter the wind. He opened a cabinet in the side of the chair and brought out a black bottle and a pair of glasses and put them on the broad arm of the chair. Donnegan sauntered back. You see, he murmured, you will not let me go. At this the colonel raised his head suddenly and glared into the eyes of his guest, and yet so perfect was his muscular and nerve control that he did not interrupt the thin stream of amber which trickled into one of the glasses. Looking down again, he finished pouring the drinks. They pledged each other with emotion and drank. It was very old, very oily, and Donnegan smiled as he put down the empty glass. 
Sit down, said the colonel in a new voice. Donnegan obeyed. Fate went on the colonel, rules our lives. We give our honest endeavors, but the deciding touch is the hand of fate. He garnished this absurd truism with a wave of his hand so solemn that Donnegan was chilled, as though the fat man were actually conversant with the three sisters. Fate has brought you to me, therefore, I intend to keep you. Here? In my service. I am about to place a great mission and a great trust in your hands. In the hands of a man you know nothing about? I know you as if I had raised you. Donnegan smiled, and shaking his head, the red hair flashed and shimmered. As long as there is no work attached to the mission, it may be agreeable to me. But there is work. Then the contract is broken before it is made. You are rash, but I had rather begin with a descent and then work upward. Donnegan waited. To balance against work. Excuse me, nothing balances against work for me. To balance against work, continued the colonel, raising a white hand, and by that gesture, crushing the protest of Donnegan, there is a great reward. Colonel Macon, I have never worked for money before, and I shall not work for it now. You trouble me with interruptions. Who mentioned money? You shall not have a penny. No. The reward shall grow out of the work. And the work is fighting. At this, Donnegan narrowed his eyes and searched the fat man thoroughly. It sounded like the talk of a charlatan, and yet there was a crispness to these sentences that made him suspect something underneath. For that matter, in certain districts, his name and his career were known. He had never dreamed that that reputation could have come within a thousand miles of this part of the mountain desert. "'You should have told me in the first place,' he said with some anger, "'that you knew me.' "'Mr. Donnegan, upon my honor, I never heard your name before my daughter uttered it.' Donnegan waited soberly. "'I despise charlatanry as much as the next man.' You shall see the steps by which I judged you. When you entered the room, I threw a strong light upon you. You did not blanch. You immediately walked straight into the shaft of light, although you could not see a foot before you. And that proved? A combative instinct and coolness, not the sort of brute vindictiveness that fights for a rage, for a cool-minded love of conflict. Is that clear? Donnegan shrugged his shoulders. And above all, I need a fighter. Then I watched your eyes and your hands. The first were direct, and yet they were alert. And your hands were perfectly steady. Qualifications for a fighter, eh? Do you wish further proof? Well, what of the fight to the death which you went through this same night? Donnegan started. It was a small movement, that flinching, and he covered it by continuing the upward gesture of his hand to his coat. He drew out tobacco and cigarette papers, and commenced to roll his smoke. Looking up, he saw that the eyes of Colonel Macon were smiling, although his face was grave. A glint of understanding passed between the two men, but not a spoken word. "'I assure you there was no death tonight,' said Donnegan at length. "'Tush, of course not. But the tear on the shoulder of your coat. Ah, that is too smooth-edged for a tear.' Too long for the bite of a scissors. Am I right? Tush, not a word. 
The colonel beamed with an almost tender pride, and Donnegan, knowing that the fat man looked upon him as a murderer, newly come from a death, considered the beaming face and thought many things in silence. So it was easy to see that in coolness, courage, fighting instinct, skill, you are probably what I want. Yet something more than all those qualifications is necessary for the task which lies ahead of you. You pile up the bad features, eh? To entice you, Donnegan, for one man, paint a rosy beginning, and once underway, he will manage the hard part. For you, show you the hard shell, and you will trust it contains the choice flesh. I was saying that I waited to see other qualities in you, qualities of the judgment, and suddenly you flashed upon me a single glance. I felt it clash against my willpower. I felt your look go past my guard like a rapier slipping around my blade. I, Colonel Macon, was for the first time outfaced, outmaneuvered, I admit it, for I rejoice in meeting such a man, and the next instant you told me that I should keep you here out of my own wish. Admirable. The admiration of the colonel, indeed, almost overwhelmed Donnegan, but he saw, in spite of the genial smile, the face suffused with warmth. The colonel was watching him every instant, flinty-eyed. Donnegan did as he had done on the stairs. He burst into laughter. When he had done, the colonel was leaning forward in his chair, with his fingers interlacing, examining his guest from beneath somber brows. As he sat lurched forward, he gave a terrible impression of that reserved energy which Donnegan had sensed before. Donnegan said to the colonel, I shall talk no more nonsense to you. You are a terrible fellow. And Donnegan knew that, for the first time in the colonel's life, he was meeting another man upon equal ground. End of chapter 8